Hello everyone out there. Thank you for tuning into the program. Before we begin, I'd just like to say a special thank you to those in the BooPod network. They work very hard, and they have such special programs. I'd like to give them a shout-out before we begin. Dark Tales from the Road, Generally Spooky Podcast, Haunted UK Podcast, Horror Roulette, Mum's Mysteries and Murder, Murder Road Trip Pod, Paranormal Exposed Podcast, Shit and Bricks Podcast, The Activity Continues, and The Skylark Bell. All of these programs have all kinds of wacky, fun, murderous, crazy things you definitely want to hear. They put lots of work and energy into all they do, and they're really special people. They're always promoting my program, and I really appreciate it. So please, go follow them and check out what they have. All of their Instagram information will be in the description. Now, without further ado, back to the program. Do not attempt to adjust the settings on your device. The sounds you hear are not hallucinations. You have entered the mind of someone that has a taste for the macabre, the strange, the unusual, and the morbid. Don't be shy. Step inside, warm up your mug, and enjoy your visit into the world that is the Nightcap. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to the Nightcap, where nothing is taboo or wicked, and the topics are always eerie and intriguing. Home to upright, walking, and industrious hairless mammals, disgusting-looking creatures, oddball animals, and even mythical creatures said hairless mammals swear exists, Earth has one of the most diverse habitats in the universe, and it never ceases to amaze onlookers, including yours truly. A swath of chaos, disorders, peace, love, violence, death, and mutilation. The third rock from the sun has managed to defy nature and still existing with all that it has endured, but nature itself is more resilient and stubborn since it yearns to survive, evolve, and spread its influence as far as it can. Global conflict, tectonic plates, continental drift, reversal of the poles, tsunamis, geomagnetic storms, sunspots, solar flares, ozone layer degradation, plastic consuming the landscape, overfishing, greenhouse gases increasing the temperature, worldwide drought, tornadoes, hurricanes, Yes, I could go on. Humans and animals have survived all of these, and hang on worse than a bad cold gobbling up the very home they try to preserve while at the same time, in a futile planetary game of tug-of-war, set the unknown timer on a self-destruct device that no one is aware of when it will go off. There are much more mysterious aspects to life on this bright blue dirt ball, and most individuals don't give them a second thought because the questions are too much and too time-consuming to explore. Still, they definitely deserve to be entertained. So how about you get more comfortable and find a telescope so we can take a closer look at the top five perplexing Earthbound questions. As a human, male or female, you drink water. Your body is made up of 98% of the stuff, 
Everything you are, and everything you do, revolves around and is dependent on water. Not one thing you do in your everyday life doesn't have water at its core, which begs the question, where in the heck did it all come from? Theories abound. This could be discussed for our entire time together, but rather than send your brain into a spiral, I'll stick to the basics. A very small percentage of the Earth is covered in water, somewhere in the vicinity of 1.3 billion km3, which is not a lot when considered how big Earth is. And if you don't know the increments, go look it up. It is also thought that deep inside the mantle that there are oceans worth of water, since it probably acts as a lubricant between each layer of the planet. There is also evidence that the Moon and Mars have water in their interiors. Still, how did it get there? The planets were all formed during a process called accretion, where dust and gas swirls at a rapid rate. In this region of space, it is too hot for ice or water to be stable, evidence of which can be observed in the tail of comets, which appear when these dirty snowballs make their way into the inner solar system and begin to heat up dramatically. If Earth was born a hot and dry planet, the water must have arrived later, after the planet had cooled, presumably brought by icy comets and asteroids from far out in the solar system, which bombarded the young planet, seeding it with their water, some of which stayed on the surface and became the oceans, while the rest made its way down into the mantle. However, this theory has a major flaw. Most water on Earth contains deuterium and hydrogen, with hydrogen being the dominant chemical with measurements of deuterium being significantly less than that of samples collected from comets and other space rocks making the theory of these rocky travelers being the sole source of water on Earth unlikely. There is some validity to asteroids, though as the isotopic match from various samples have shown to be a match to Earth's HO2, but the main issue is the amount of asteroids that would have had to impact the surfaces of each planet that would have to be massive. The other theory is that in the infancy of the solar system, Jupiter is thought to have smashed the asteroid belt bringing with it enough rocks to essentially come into contact with each planet, seeding them with water in what is called the Great Tack Hypothesis. Still, some geologists believe the water formed on its own and took thousands of years for the atmosphere to borrow from the surrounding space and seed itself using hydrogen and oxygen naturally, but scientists felt that the abundance of hydrogen would have been too small, but figure that the inner part of the Earth and other planets gave oxygen all the hydrogen it needed and still does to this day, making the long-held theory that the amount of water on Earth today is the same as it was millions of years ago, less and less credible. There are two new strong theories being performed now that give a broader picture. One are enstatite chondrites, which are very rare meteorites and share the same isotopic levels as earth rocks. Experts aren't sure where these rocks came from, but they are relatively confident that they are the oldest forms of meteorites in the galaxy, potentially making them remnants from the Big Bang that were closest to the Sun. Thirteen of these pristine rocks were examined, taking great care to apply a special analytical approach to avoid bias. What they found was unexpected, but exciting. Lorat Panay, the lead cosmetologist, claimed that the hydrogen present in each sample could have been delivered to the surrounding planets, more importantly Earth, with three times the amount of hydrogen needed. What is more, the isotopic composition of the hydrogen and nitrogen in the meteorites matched those of the Earth's mantle, indicating that much of the planet's atmospheric nitrogen could also have come from this material. The disappointing news is that the deuterium to hydrogen ratio did not match that of Earth's oceans, giving more credibility that asteroids and comets filled in the gaps. 
The other strong theory is a bit of a stretch, but attention-grabbing just the same. Hydrogen materials, enough to be abundant enough during the formation of the planets, leaves many science skeptical, and that leaves only one possible explanation. The material came from other parts of the cosmos, or Goldilocks zones. This theory seems most logical to many scientists since the building blocks of the most living things contain a large amount of water. The solar system had planets that contained oceans at some point and were unable to sustain life for whatever reason, and that nearly every piece of rock examined contained the particles needed for water. So, as it stands, scientists believe that the cores of each planet had the compounds for H2O enough to form over millions of years, seep up through the mantle and other layers, eventually leading to the development of life through a complex form of disorder. Even with all this information, the true origins will most likely never be uncovered. Is life a random act or a universal sideshow that has become something of a never-ending quest in futility for something else's amusement? The truth, or lack thereof, is much scarier than you can ever imagine. Planets are the most puzzling objects in the universe, since no two planets are exactly alike, with no one knowing why. Some have atmospheres that rain diamonds and oceans of lava, while others have non-stop storms and barren wastelands. That is only scratching the surface, so to speak. It is what is inside that should really catch your attention. Right now, you are laying, sitting, or standing on miles upon miles of unexplored worlds, unknown elements, and potentially history-altering creatures and organisms. The odd thing about the Earth's core is that there really was no true thoughts on what it was made out of or how it worked for a very long time. When certain scholars and scientists became curious, some guessed it was made of gold and others claimed that it was the center of some haven for ancient monsters waiting to be awakened at the seventh hour by the trumpets of Valhalla. Then it was properly theorized that the outer core was an ever-swirling molten liquid that surrounded a giant ball of solid iron. It stayed this way for centuries until topography, sonar, and other forms of technology gave a more cogent explanation and it gets really weird. It turns out that new research shows that the inner core may not only be liquid, but that it exists in a supersonic state where hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen spin at a rapid velocity through an iron-like grate. Since the 1950s, advances in the study of earthquake-generated seismic waves, which travel through the core, have enabled researchers to make more refined guesses as to what's inside the heart of the planet. But even today, the picture is far from clear. These S-waves travel through the interior of Earth and have come back and not bouncing back, but penetrating a mushier center rather than a solid mass. Even with this new estimation, scientists still aren't sure what this mush consists of. Penetrating the mantle by probing is impossible, so for the new study, a simulation was used compiling seismic data and feeding it into the advanced computer system designed to recreate the effects of the core's extreme pressures and temperatures on an assortment of the elements that are thought to be found. This model has yet to be proven, but if this project displays what they hope it does, it would narrow the knowledge gap in how humans understand their own world. It would also show how things like the electromagnetic field work. Geological studies abound, 
Earth scientists are well on their way to establishing seismological probes that can further isolate the overall structure of the core, giving the project of graphing the integrity of the elements a more solid base to draw better conclusions from. As above, so below, the sky and ground. Two things most of you humans interact with 24-7 yet never think twice about. Take a minute and look around. It's only your forever. In my limited interaction with humans, I have discovered a deep love and fascination about a long extinct group of animals that has had movies made about them, an entire ethos revolving around their existence, and even reimaginings and fun mutations in favor of entertainment. Some are still around in some form, like alligators, birds, and lizards that have either evolved in macro or micro evolution, or time just never really touched their development, remaining perfect like the great white shark. I am of course talking about the childhood fantasy that is the dinosaurs. The reason people seem to adore them is because they represented raw, primal nature and a giant untamed ferocity that is seen as untouched as it gets, where the earth had no pollutants, no laws, no oversight, the world in its purest, unbridled form. Life was more interesting. Then, just like that, it was all but gone. Precambrian, Cretaceous, Paleozoic, Mesozoic, and Jurassic eras were wiped out, and the little blue ball of life had to reboot, starting with primordial ooze to what it is today, humans using it as a gigantic shopping mall. At least that was the impression that I got. So, why did it end, and by what? Questions have plagued scientists for many years about why these huge creatures were gone, with only their fossils to give clues, but some theories start to emerge the more the landscape was mapped out and explored. One long-held theory, and the most widely accepted, is that an asteroid slammed through the atmosphere and obliterated all life except bacteria and other basic single-celled organisms like amoeba. Most experts agree that a world-killer meteor caused a nuclear winter with massive volcanic eruptions spewing ash into the air, choking the atmosphere, causing things that managed to briefly survive eventually die due to suffocation or starvation. Everything took decades for the dust to settle, for the world to become remotely habitable again, causing life to eventually emerge and thrive once more. Some theories have been just odd, such as the self-destructive theory that the dinosaurs caused their own demise by overeating and devouring their own eggs. The biggest culprit is the Tyrannosaurus rex that got a taste for certain eggs, and being the apex predator that it was, became a main catalyst for the eventual decline of certain species. Soon other predators got more desperate for food sources like raptors and other meat eaters and a domino effect started. Although this sounds plausible to some, there has been virtually no evidence to support that this would lead to a mass extinction, but it certainly didn't help increase population numbers. Pathological shells is another one where scientists believe there is a rash of cell disruption in the future generations of dinosaurs. Certain fossilized shells exhibited abnormalities, but again, there isn't enough evidence to support this. From overactive glands and caterpillars to a supernova and aliens, there is no shortage of what is thought to have destroyed these magnificently complex creatures, no matter how outlandishly absurd they may be. However, scientists may have recently cracked the mystery. The asteroid theory had a lot of holes in it, 
but evidence discovered in a rock sample in the 1980s strengthened that claim when researchers at the University of Texas in the 1990s examined a crater beneath the Gulf of Mexico called the Chick-fil-Ub Impact Crater that had the same radiological age as the rock layer sample. The crater is dated 60 million years old and is half on land and half submerged, and a new study of the area shows that they found asteroid dust with a matching chemical fingerprint within that crater as the precise geological location that marks the time of the extinction. Extractions from the rock and soil samples are showing strong evidence that an asteroid did indeed kill the dinosaurs. Although this is not conclusive, the iridium spike coupled with the other geological evidence, is a big contender to showing how the dinosaurs died. To be honest, I think the human race is on the fast track to destroying themselves at this rate from what I have seen, and a cataclysmic meteoric event will be a mercy killing, as opposed to what the dinosaurs experienced. One strange aspect of humanity is how they speak to each other. Linguistics is something I have studied since coming across this planet and noticed that only some animals, like birds, are capable of certain forms of speech while people have developed over 100 unique ways to speak to one another. Humans have only been around for a small amount of time in contrast to the entire existence of Earth, but the development of vocal abilities has come so far in such a short amount of time, and the really baffling thing is... No one is 100% sure how it all formed. There might be a nagging at your brain right now saying, Cavemen, you fool. They grunted, growled, and then started exchanging ideas on how to prepare woolly mammoth. An amusing concept, but not exactly. How humans learn to speak is a question that has made English majors, language experts, archaeologists, and sociologists scream in frustration since it was possible to say hi. As with all things, time does tend to leave a marker, but with communication and the evolution of entire words and sentences, there is evidence all around us from cave paintings and tablets to ancient manuscripts and papyrus scrolls. The problem isn't how long it has been around, however, which we have endless examples of, but there is virtually nothing to point at and say now we're getting the bigger picture. That hasn't stopped a myriad of theories from popping up, and the most absurd to the more plausible. One such theory is Bow Wow, which sounds more like man's best friend's attempt at talking to its owner rather than an honest try at sounding words. But truth is stranger than fiction at times. The theory is simple. Ancient ancestors were like minor birds that had no concept of what it meant to form words, so they mimicked what sounds animals made in an onomatopoeic sense. There is a glaring issue with this, in that every culture has different ways of interpreting sounds, so a dog's bark in Brazilian sounds like aw-aw, and other sounds are more recent, with no real proof that during such events like Pangaea, that ancestors were all exposed to the same sounds by the same animals, which only proves that modern cultures were indeed divided, and natural sounds resulted in languages with vastly different harmonics and patterns to draw on. Just imagine Cro-Magnon Man walking around with a large bone in his mouth, trying to make animal noises as a source of entertainment, though. Another theory stems from a more philosophical aspect and comes from ancient Greece. Pythagoras and Plato postulate that language emerged from an observational perspective of nature, objects around them, and the world interacting with everything where a passive balance caused speech to eventually cede. 
While this sounds poetic and deep, it is quaint and not really based in any reality or scientific basis. Those on the spectrum could find similar qualities through repetition and exposure, but an overly complex system of vowels, consonants, and symbols requires more of a cognitional understanding. Hippies and flower power children folk may have invented groovy sayings by dropping acid and ingesting ketamine, but their ancestors did not figure out the alphabet by communing with deers. More interesting theories that got laughed out of the room are La La and Poo Poo, which sound more like an animator's attempt at migrating a character to another culture and less like something serious. Both ideas claim that sounds originated from sounds of love, such as sex or intense pleasure and pain. As outside the box as this is, it is ridiculous, since most people have a sharp intake of breath, make clicking sounds, and form incoherence when experiencing an injury or orgasmic behavior that don't reflect anything taught in phonology, nor do they hold any water when tested in practice. I suppose if you want to see what your vocal cords come up with the next time you step on a Lego by accident or alone in your room, with a blow-up doll, there isn't any harm in that. The final theory called yo he ho is word formation through physical labor with grunts, sighs, and exhalation with muscle exertion. Another interesting but dead-end explanation as it doesn't expound on words as they are, again, guttural, and have no structure to them. It can explain rhythm, which is actually important as it still leaves a gaping mental chasm as to why human brains form these patterns in the first place. Why not predatory chattering sounds cats make when they see birds? Why not whimpering whining dogs do when they're scared? Why those particular sounds as opposed to any other number of sounds humans can make? Geneticists, anthropologists, and cognitive scientists have dubbed this the hardest question to answer as all roads seemingly lead to nowhere, and there is no sign of anyone getting even a smidge closer to cracking open this long-held mystery. Just think, once upon a time, humans did things and shut their mouths having no other choice since they couldn't use gizmos to hide behind and lacked the ability to say uninformed garbage to one another. Sure, there was violence, but at least it wasn't amped up by insipid, dangerously inciting thoughts that they were thankfully unable to verbalize to each other. If you were to have an x-ray machine and scan the interior of the earth, you would be frightened, amazed, and shocked by what you would see. First, you would see a vast network of mycology that would destroy your senses by the unimaginable magnitude of it. Spores, microbiology in general, is wondrous and pretty much rules not only the terrestrial whole of the planet, but a lot of other planets as well. They are the unseen hand of life and play an important part in decomposition, helping other life thrive, and some even cause people to experience the universe through consumption. But please don't do that, lest you eat one that could kill you instead. Outside of this, there are eye-popping crazy organisms that seem to laugh at the basic laws of nature and scoff at complex organs like brains. One such creature stems from ancient DNA that has somehow evolved to accomplish diverse tasks without the aid of a cortex. What could it be? Does it have a crazy cool name? Nope. It is a pile of single-celled yellow molded goo called Fasarium polycephalum, which sounds neater if you say it in a British accent. 
What exactly makes this such an enticing study, and why haven't many people heard of it? It is commonly referred to as the Blob, but I don't think this has anything to do with the pink monstrosity from the 1950s sci-fi film. What is even more bizarre is that this creature isn't classified any way at all. It is neither animal, plant, or fungi, and a very rare class of its own called Amoebazoa, which has existed for billions of years, or, in other words, since Earth has been part of the planetary family. The Fasarum possesses what scientists call mystic and somewhat supernatural abilities that all but baffle the natural world. For example, the Blob can regenerate almost indefinitely in a dormant stage so that aging is all but foreign to it, but one of the most impressive attributes is its ability to learn, feed without lips of any kind, and navigate complex problems, all without any organs. By design, slime molds replicate and spread using feel as a way to figure out if an environment is hospitable or volatile, and they anticipate and remember, which is again astounding given that they have no brain. Researchers put a map of Japan near a blob with oat flakes over the major cities. Instead of just oozing towards the food, it created a path that resembled the Tokyo rail system, and in other observations, it found its way through complex mazes. The best way that scientists have guessed as to how it managed all this is through its cell plasma to perceive stimulus detecting chemicals, light, and humidity to maximize survival. Circuitry has been built around the network of cells that slime molds have, which is quite cool considering modern circuit boards have similar ways of communicating with devices. It has also inspired the healthcare field in studying how tumors work, not to mention the research in figuring out the regenerative properties so that they can maybe one day prolong the lifespan of humans, grow new organs, or repair damaged ones. Microbiologists are continuing to unlock the wonders of this organism to enhance humans' way of life. Homo sapiens have a lot to learn, and if there's one thing about life, particularly on Earth, it is this. There are no rules. To believe otherwise shows a clear arrogance to thinking that you know everything when, in fact, you know nothing. The sooner that is understood by the human race, the sooner they can put aside petty egos and start to literally shoot for the stars. And so, at last, we come to the end of our terrestrial trek on the dangerously glamorous and often misunderstood globe that is planet Earth. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed narrating. Be sure to tune in for the season finale on New Year's Day, after which I will be on break journeying to the deeper parts of the unknown to bring you more of my findings. Be sure to follow me on my Instagram, at the Nightcap. Also, follow, like, comment, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, as it helps to spread the word and increase my audience. I also have a Ko-Fi page, so if you would like to leave me a tip just to say thanks, I would very much appreciate it. Links to said page and social media will be in the description. Until next time, be safe and stay curious.